KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Hakeem Thomas Sr. doesn't mince his words. Not even being honored the, the proper way. It's truly a disservice to what they stood for, who they who they were. Hakeem is the superintendent of the 120-year-old Eden Cemetery in Delaware County. It's about a 25-minute drive south of Center City, and it's the oldest black-owned public cemetery in the country. As we're talking, we're standing by the gravesite of Daniel McClellan. He was the first Negro League pitching great. He also, in 1903, pitched the first recorded perfect game in black history. The Negro Leagues, which is what they were called, were home to the best African-American and Latin American baseball players from the late 1800s up until 1947, when Jackie Robinson broke Major League Baseball's color barrier. What bugs Hakeem so much is that for more than half a century, McClellan's grave went unmarked. No headstone, no grave marker, nothing. It's kind of bittersweet to me, Brian, you know? I like him to be recognized and appreciated the way they should, should be. How is this possible? How could the gravesite of someone with such an historic accomplishment have gone unmarked for so long? This is The John Cast, a podcast about interesting and unexpected stories from Philadelphia. I'm Brian Seltzer, and today we take a look at the unmarked graves of Negro Leagues baseball players and what they can tell us about the brick walls African-Americans face with genealogy. For an early November morning, the day I went to Eden Cemetery in Collingdale, Delaware County, was perfect. Not a cloud in the sky, temperatures in the low 50s, a steady, crisp breeze. The sunlight was reflecting off Daniel McClellan's grave. We're looking at what we call a, a slant black onyx headstone with Daniel McClellan name on it and a awesome picture with his face on it in his Philadelphia Giants uniform. Hakeem Thomas Sr., the superintendent at Eden Cemetery, is giving me a bit of a history lesson. He tells me McClellan was born in 1878 in Norfolk, Virginia, and played the Negro Leagues for 12 years for a handful of clubs, including the Cuban ex-Giants and the Philadelphia Giants. McClellan was 83 when he died in Philadelphia in 1962. So they played with whites. That, that was a huge accolade, huge accolade back then. And to overcome the uh, obstacles, the racism, you know, he couldn't wine and dine and eat with the rest of the ball club. They traveled from state to state, you know. So it was a dif- difficult time. There's a website, seamheads.com, that does a terrific job chronicling the careers of Negro Leagues players. According to the site, McClellan was 5 feet, 5 inches tall, a left-handed pitcher with a 2.91 earned run average, which by just about any standard in baseball is fantastic. You know, I was also an athlete too, so I know the passion you feel when you love something, you love a particular sport. So it was all for the love of the sport. They did that. They, they did that, put their families in jeopardy and everything, you know, so it was real. Here's another piece of history about Daniel McClellan. He was the first Negro Leagues baseball player buried at Eden Cemetery to get a grave marker. But how sad is this? His headstone was installed in 2019. That's 57 years after his death. 
It was done by an initiative called the Negro Leagues Baseball Grave Marker Project. The group raises money to mark the grave sites of Negro Leagues players around the country. For the next stop on our tour, Hakeem and I hop into one of Eden Cemetery's trucks. It is really peaceful here, though. You can't deny that. Super tranquil, Brian. Super tranquil. I can find myself, if I go make a delivery or something, I find myself at peace. <laughs> Eden is massive. 53 acres, more than 96,000 grave sites. It takes us a bumpy five minutes over some hilly terrain to get to a second Negro Leagues grave. Watch your step. Ooh. Yeah, I don't I'm just going to wrap around this stone. Maybe cool. we can walk over there. Sure. Right, right over here. It might be easier to walk from here. Now, this particular section is a little hilly, so. It belongs to Edward Bolton, a native of Concordville, which is another neighborhood in Delaware County. The difference between this plot and Daniel McClellan's is that this one is unmarked, one of at least 19 unmarked Negro Leagues graves at Eden Cemetery. We're still in the process of determining a couple more, so... No, I'd say 19. So you're still not sure there could be more? Yes, yes. There could possibly be more. Much like the population of Negro Leagues players buried there, the picture of Eden itself is incomplete. Akeem estimates that out of the cemetery's 96,000 total plots, about 20,000 are unmarked. Now, part of that has to do with records being lost when four African-American cemeteries merged together to form Eden at the turn of the 20th century. Another part of that has to do with sections of the cemetery originally being designated as public graves. It's important to point out that just because a grave's unmarked doesn't mean Eden Cemetery doesn't know who's buried there. They have filing cabinets filled to the brim with record books dating back over hundreds of years. But unless... Someone comes looking for an unmarked grave. It could be a family member or a third-party organization. The burial site is probably going to stay that way, unmarked. Akeem Thomas Sr. is trying to do his part for Edward Bolden and some of the other Negro leaguers with unmarked graves. I took it upon myself and the guys. We went around and what we call temporary markers. That's what we're looking at. It's a temporary marker, and it lasts maybe about six months. But I wanted to get the ball moving on that, so... We're in the process of putting a temporary marker on all the Negro League ballplayers in the cemetery. One of the big takeaways from visiting Eden Cemetery is that even though it's obviously a place for the dead, the history there is very much alive. Eden's on the National Register of Historic Places. Akeem Thomas Sr. grew up in Darby, right near Eden. He was well aware of the cemetery's significance before he started working there eight years ago. He calls Eden a beacon of the community. The property was purchased in 1902. We had several obstacles we had to come overcome, as you know at that time with Jim Crow and segregation and everything. But it was officially purchased in 1902. I think the oldest person interred here is from the late 1700s, maybe like 1780 or something. 82, I think it is. Because it was a lot of uh, Philadelphia cemeteries that were reinterred here. During the early 1900s, it was a huge cemetery crisis. It was hard for us to bury our loved ones. It was difficult due to racism and things like that. So 
it's emotional enough to have to bury a loved one, a family member, a friend, but then reinterring someone who you love, just that seems pretty difficult from an emotional standpoint, what people might have had to go through with that. Absolutely, absolutely. The times, the times were very difficult at that time, and we went through so many difficult obstacles to overcome racism and segregation. You name it, they, they overcame it and still managed, you know, to become historical American pioneers, more or less. They're, they're truly pioneers, helped mold America. Hakeem? isn't overstating it. There are a good number of African-American pioneers, many of them with ties to the Philadelphia area, buried at Eden Cemetery. We can start with Marian Anderson, a Presidential Medal of Freedom Award recipient and one of the most decorated opera singers in modern history. She was born in Philadelphia in 1897 and died in 1993. Her family's plot is right on top of a tiny hill across from the main office, not too far from Eden's entrance off Springfield Road. All these people interred here were more around less the same age, the same era. They all communicated. They all knew one another. They all supported one another. We got uh, Octavius Cadoway in the back. We got William Steele back there. I mean, you name it. A lot of them, they're here. Founders of churches, founders, founders of fraternities, organizations, colleges, you name it, they're here. But there's so much more to Eden Cemetery's legacy than it being the burial ground for prominent African Americans. The real story of Eden is a collective one. It's made up of generations of African Americans from all walks of life, civilians, military veterans, you name it, who have been laid to rest there over parts of four centuries. Do you think enough people know about this place? <laughs> Not at all, Brian. Yeah, it's, I, I, I think all of America should be aware of the, the, the fabric, the history that Eden Cemetery has here. They all should be aware. That'll, that'll help us grow as a, as a country to know the history. You have to know your past to value and appreciate your present, Brian. Maybe instead of places like the Liberty Bell and Independence Hall, people should put Eden Cemetery on their list of sites to see in Philadelphia. I think it's key for whites, blacks, Latinos, Native Americans, you name it, they all should know a part of the history, just like we all know American history, things of that nature. It's just as important. But with so many unmarked graves at Eden and other cemeteries like it, where do African Americans trying to find out more about their roots even start? After the break, what a Philadelphia-based organization is doing to make tracing African American genealogy easier to navigate. A Philadelphia dentist today was sentenced to 22 years in prison and fined $100,000. This was just unbelievable. You gotta understand the genius in Larry. Nobody was doing coke at this point. No one could believe that this highly educated, young, handsome man was this kingpin drug dealer. This is Wolves Among Us, the Larry Lavin story. A documentary podcast from C13 Originals, a Cadence 13 studio. Listen now on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the John Cast. I'm Brian Seltzer. Dean Henry is 70 years old. He knows firsthand about the legacy of the Negro Leagues. His uncle, Alfred, played for a couple teams, including the Philadelphia Stars. 
because of his involvement with the Negro Leagues, became quite passionate about the fact that the Negro Leagues should be recognized by Major League Baseball to the point where he was writing letters to the, the Major League Baseball and to the point where they considered his letters to be threatening and he actually, I think he was in jail for a day or something like that. Ultimately, the feds dropped their charges against Alfred Henry, but it's a true story. You can look it up in the LA Times. Dean Henry has a lot of stories to share about his family tree, like the fact that He's a descendant of a fighter in the Revolutionary War. That was lost family history. My immediate family knew nothing about that. Or that he's pretty sure one of his ancestors was enslaved by Patrick Henry, as in, founding father, give me liberty or give me death, Patrick Henry. So, yeah, that was kind of surprising to me. And I can't say I have 100% records to prove it at this point. I'm currently working on a work group with half a dozen family group members to try to break through that brick wall to prove it once and for all. Dean knows all this because after he retired from a career in information technology in 2012, the genealogy bug bit him big time. You are a detective. It it really exercises your brain to figure out, oh yeah, I remember hearing this. I remember that. And you put the dots together and you come up with a clear picture. And it's like, Eureka, you you broke through, you found something, and now you want to share it with other family members. Like, look what I found. Dean is part of the executive committee for the African-American Genealogy Group. It's a nonprofit that formed here in Philadelphia back in January of 1989. Its mission is to educate, provide resources, and create a community for anyone interested in African-American family history and genealogical research. And we serve those who are interested in researching their family history locally, regionally, and nationally. Regardless of your background, most genealogy work takes a lot of energy, patience, and persistence. But for African Americans, the past has made it that much more complicated, sometimes almost impossible, for them to fill out their family trees. You referenced running into a brick wall in one of your current pursuits. Specific to African-American genealogy, explain what are some of these brick walls that people run into when they're trying to retrace their roots. There's lots of brick walls, but when African-Americans generally refer to the brick wall, they refer to the 1870 brick wall. And the reason why they refer to the 1870 brick wall is because after you do all the same genealogy uh, initial work that everybody else does. We're you know, interviewing elders in your family, looking through the family Bible, if you have one, all that kind of stuff. And then you decide you want to go to the U.S. federal census. African-Americans generally find out that they have a brick wall in 1870 because that's the first U.S. federal census where all people are listed by first and last name. And by all people, Dean Henry is referring to Americans of all colors. The old U.S. federal census was taken every 10 years, starting in 1790 through 1950, but the 1870 federal census was the first after the Civil War ended in 1865. Before that, if your ancestor was enslaved, they were probably only referred to by a first name and not even in the census. In the 1860 census, they may have been listed by gender and age only, and the only way you would find that is if you can find the last enslaver. So that truly is a brick wall for a lot of African-Americans. One of the ways the African-American genealogy group tries to help is by connecting African-Americans with tools to put together pieces of the puzzle. There are a few things that you want to do. And first, I would point out, if people visit our website, 
aagg.org, we have a resources page. And on the resources page, you can download a free guide. And the free guide gives you information on how to just get started with genealogy research. One is called a pedigree chart. And you can just trace yourself back to your parents and your grandparents, et cetera. And if you don't know information about a particular line, about your grandparents, for example, you can fill that in later. Ancestry.com is a paid for service, but they do have the Researching African-American Ancestors page. And on that page, you can download their free guide called African-American Family Research on Ancestry. That, if, if your listeners do nothing else but download that guide, that will tie you into all the different, what I'm calling tricks of the trade, and then the mother load of information, free information, is on the FamilySearch.org website. And they have a, a wiki. And within the wiki, they have an African-American genealogy wiki page. If you just do those three things, you'll tie into the mother load of information. Information that's brought Dean Henry closer to raw truths. It used to seem to me like even 1800s was like way, way far away. And in African-American community, at least the one I grew up in, we really didn't talk about slavery at all. So it never dawned on me that my grandfather's grandfather was enslaved. You know, so he, he probably knew him. Uh, this information that we're tracing back isn't that old at all. It's in a lot of cases, it's been hidden. It's been lost. In the case of African-Americans, slavery was something that was, you know, people were ashamed of. They didn't really want to talk about you know, this is part of history. It's African-American history. It's everyone's history. It's something that everybody should be aware of. Dean's been doing this long enough to know that these personal deep dives, these excavations into African-American genealogy can come with a cost. There's an emotional toll. There's definitely a heavy side to it. Um, I can't think of any personally off the top of my head, but I've seen it a lot where people find their ancestors listed with a dollar amount associated with them. And that is... You know, very shocking, and it just really breaks your heart to see that. Or where you see, in my case, where I had family members that were split apart. I don't want to be too much of a downer for your your audience, but you know, there are cases where basically African Americans were bred like uh, animals, and then and uh, they had places where, where that where that actually happened. So yeah, you you definitely have to be prepared for some downsides. But I still think it's worth. It's definitely worth the risk of finding things that you would rather not have known. I asked Dean Henry why. There's a, a couple of sayings that go around like a person without a knowledge of their history is like a, a tree without its roots. You, you really need that to complete you. So I, f I feel like I am completing all the roots, the pictures of all the roots. I know of a lot of the leaves, but I'm trying to figure out the roots. So uh, it helps me know who I am. Back at Eden Cemetery in Collingdale, Hakeem Thomas Sr. pauses mid-conversation to tidy up something on Daniel McClellan's gravesite. The small, caked bird droppings on the top of the headstone have got to go. The two solution works well, bruh. Hakeem refers to this cleaning as perpetual care. It's all part of the gig. What you guys do, I mean, there's a... Massive responsibility in that. I mean, really. Oh, we take it so serious. Huge, huge. It's it's, it's the it's uh, it's a huge thing for us. It's God's plan, bro. And I feel like this is part of our destiny. 
part of my destiny, rather, shall I say. This pride was certainly present back in 2019 when Akeem helped mark McClellan's grave. But Akeem tells me that it wasn't until recently that anyone from McClellan's family had actually come out to see his marker at Eden Cemetery with the etching of McClellan's face at the top of it. This is the one particular headstone, one particular Negro League that I happen to have the honor of meeting his great-grandson. He came out here maybe about four months ago, and the resemblance is <laughs> incredible. He looked just like him on the headstone. Really? Yes, his great-grandson. He was blown away. Him and his wife came. They both cried, and they seen the resemblance that he looked like him. And I think they sat here for two hours taking pictures and everything. I may have sat with him for 45 minutes before I left. So it was very rewarding, very, very rewarding. Just like Dean Henry from the African-American Genealogy Group, Akeem Thomas Sr. believes whatever effort he puts in is worth it. I mean, that does have to be a great oh, feeling for you, though, and for this cemetery to be able to close some of those loops yeah. and connect those dots. So fulfilling, so fulfilling just to see that that sacrifice come full circle really warmed my heart. The John Cast is a production of KYW News Radio Original Podcast and is made in Philadelphia by Tom Rickert, Sabrina Boyd Serka. Myron Kaplan, Holly Stevens, Bibiana Correa, and me, Brian Seltzer. Special thanks to Akeem Thomas Sr., Sheila Jones, and Mina Cockroft of Eden Cemetery, Dean Henry, Taya Fry, and Ken Schwartz. For more information about Eden Cemetery, the Negro League's Baseball Grave Marker Project, and the African American Genealogy Group, check out our show notes. We've thrown in some links. Be sure to give us a follow on Twitter. And subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to pods, whether it's free on the Odyssey app or anywhere else. Have a great holiday next week. If you're celebrating, we'll be back with a brand new episode after Thanksgiving.